Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, church, remember, remember what um, we've been studying, okay? You go, what do you mean? Well, if we were to look at chapter 1, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 says, Write these things which you have seen, the things which are, and the th- which things will take place after this. Now, remember... Write the things which you have seen. This is, John is basically at the island of Patmos, and he's exiled there, and here's what he writes. He sees this vision, but it's the revelation of Jesus. Okay, so everything in this is, is, is gonna be pointing to Jesus. We need to set our hearts on that, because so many times we say, well, it's, it's not, it's the revelations of John. John had all these crazy revelations, right? But here, here's the thing. It's, it's not. He says, here's what I want you to see. He, these are the things that what? He, here we are. Write the things which are. And then he says, well, what are they? Well, they're the message to the seven churches. And he starts with the church of Ephesus. And he's going to end with the Laodicean church. Okay? So he's going to do that. Then he says, write the things which will take place after this. This is chapter 4 all the way to 19. And it is crazy. All of the stuff, guys, everybody's kind of focusing on chapter 13, the mark of the beast. And, and, but I mean, this is, this is nuts because he's going to open the scrolls. He's going to open the seals. I mean, it's just going to, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. And I've been telling people with all of my heart that guys, it is so much like reading the, the Bible is like reading today's newspaper. And, and so coming in here, we, we kind of see, well, tonight, guys, we're in the middle. We're right in the middle of the message to the seven churches. Now remember, I've asked you to take notes. There's a couple of things I want to emphasize. Take notes for your own benefit, because you only remember 10% of what's being taught, especially if there's a lot of content. But two, if somebody wants to get your notes when you're gone, they'll have an idea of what, what just happened. But but check this out, okay? Well, you'll been, what was the second thing? Okay, so John writes the book of Revelation in symbolism. In symbolism, okay? Because the emperor Nero was going, uh-uh, you're not going to get a message of Jesus to the people. Now, the people who understood the Old Testament understood exactly what John was talking about. All the other people didn't know. And what it was, it was almost like, check this out, that John was being censored from what he was trying to say. And so he had to write like a crazy person, but his, but the believers understood him. Now, it's like if you were to get on Twitter and write something crazy, right? And you just, it was just abstract and crazy, but believers go, oh, that's a reference to, whoa. Where the world goes, this person on Twitter, he just, he just, he randomly said this crazy thing, this crazy, I saw a beast coming out of the, right? Out of the, I mean, all of this stuff. And it's like a beast. Come on. There's no, Ah, and so they said, ah, pish posh on that. Forget that. So keep that in mind as we go through. You guys with me? Okay. So remember the church at Ephesus. We started with that. Okay. The church at Ephesus means darling. And basically they had it all, except they did something, something that we tend to do. You go, what's that? We, they left their first love. Guys, they left their first love. Jesus should be our first love. He should be our all in all. 
And what happened is that they were going through the motions. They were singing. They were worshiping. They were coming to church. They were handing out bulletins. They had all kinds of programs, but they didn't have the love of Jesus anymore. And I had to stop and go, man, what's motivating me? And this is what's going on. Well, then he addressed the church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna was known as the persecuted church, guys. And this is in history encompassed about, about 100 AD all the way to 300. And you guys remember they were persecuted. They were stomped on. They were squished. Don't get that message out. Stop talking in the name of Jesus. Guys, there could be a time when you and I, as believers, very, very shortly are persecuted. It could come. It could happen. As a matter of fact, it is happening. But I'm praying that with, with the crushing, man, the church will flourish. The church will flourish. Why? Because this isn't an easy gospel. This isn't, hey, listen, give your life to the Lord and everything is going to be great. You're going to have everything you need. It's going to be wonderful. Come on in. Come on. You're going to be blessed, 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 blessed. This was a gospel in Smyrna that says, hey, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you're going to have eternal life, but it might cost you your life here on earth. And not only that, it might cost you the lives of your kids and your parents. We're not going to just let you. And, and people came by the droves to get saved. And then we talked last week, guys, of the church of Pergamos. Do you guys remember that? The church of Pergamos was known as the compromising church. They compromised their walk. And it was all about Constantine, and it was all about Satan. Satan goes, listen, I've been persecuting, and the church keeps growing. You know what, I'm not, I'm not going to persecute them. I'm going to join them. And he, and he, 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 there was this guy named Constantine. Constantine was ruling. He, he was out conquering one time. He looked up. Right, And he saw a cross and he heard a voice that conquer in this sign. And because of that, guess what he did? That's when the state married the church. And it was, you know what? If you weren't in the church, you weren't cool. Okay? And it was, I mean, it was, it was, well, this happened between 300 and 600 AD. And now all of a sudden, the church was compromising. Now, let me just, let me just give you some application before we jump into a lot of times in our walks, we start out like Ephesus. We're like fired up. Yes! I'm, Rosa, you will believe I'm saved. What happened? I got saved. I don't know. Jesus is amazing. Everything is just so oh, cool. But then there are times when we go like, man, I, yeah, I've been, been walking with Jesus for a while now, and, and I've sort of left him. And a lot of times, if that doesn't happen, and you feel like you're persecuted for your faith. And a lot of the persecution comes from your own family. Wow, why are you so radical? Why are you so crazy? What's wrong with you? And then a lot of Christians, guys, end up compromising in their walks. A lot of Christians end up compromising in their walks. Tonight, we're looking at a church of Thyatira. And what they were doing, guys, is they were tolerating a woman who brought in false teaching and theology and were letting the people astray. That's what they were doing. This church was not using discernment at all. They were, um, they were not disturbed by a woman who were allowing corruption to creep in. The church of Thyatira was quite a bit different from the church of Ephesus. Okay? Ephesus was, their problem was a shriveled up love. They left their first love. But you know what? Thyatira, we see that they were a loving and, and their love was growing for people. And their people worked really hard. 
And the Bible says that they were, they were faithful and they were patient, but something beneath the surface was a cesspool going on in Thyatira. Let's read it together, guys. Let's take a look, guys. Revelation 2, 18 through 29, those of you watching at home, it says this, And to the angel slash messenger pastor of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, to, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality, to eat things that are sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give each one of you according to your works. Now I say to you, to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have until I come. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give him the power over the nations. And he shall rule with the, with the rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, your attention, please. We just read this. This is the longest of the admonition to the churches. This is the longest letter. And here's what you need to understand in this letter. Think about it. Think about it if you're writing. He's saying, he's saying, look at this. He says, I have this against you. He's calling a, a prophetess to seduce my servant, sexuality, sacrifice to idols. I gave her time to repent. I'm going to throw her in the de- in the sickbed. All of this stuff, again, think about if you were just trying to read it, being like, what does this mean? And so you would just kind of disregard it. But, guys, listen, the saints, the the Old Testament, the, the Christians knew exactly what he was talking about. But in order for you and I to understand the context, we have to know a little bit about the city. Okay? The city of Thyatira, guys, is a small city. It reminds me a lot of like Lubbock. Why? Because, because remember, Smyrna was big. I mean, Ephesus was amazing. Pergamos was the place to go. Pergamos was the Tel Aviv. It was the party place. But... Thyatira? No, it's just kind of the normal folks. It's just kind of a small little town, guys. It was southeast of Pergamos. If you look at the route, it almost comes up and comes back like this. And um, it was it was famous for manufacturing purple dye. Okay? And it's interesting to me, you may want to take note of this, although smaller and kind of less significant, it actually received the longest letter. I find that interesting. It wasn't big. It wasn't all of this stuff. But it now, there is one other mention of Thyatira in the New Testament. 
In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, Paul was in Philippi and he was preaching by the river and a certain woman came by the name of Lydia and she was known as the seller of purple. She heard what Paul said. She got saved. She accepted Christ there in Acts chapter 16. And here's what I noted. I want you to see. It could be possible that Lydia, who went and heard Paul, got saved ended up taking the gospel back to Thyatira. She came back, are you kidding me? You, don't, you won't believe what I heard. There's this man named Jesus. He was fully God and fully man, and he died on the cross for my sins. And I accepted it, and I'm saved. And I'm saved, and i got to tell you. And so, boom, it, it, it kind of started, right? And, 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 and we don't know, but it's possible. But here's what we do need to know. The city... The city itself was known for its trade guilds um, or unions, if you will. You guys know what I'm talking about. You ever have a union? Okay, we're in, we're in union, and, and basically it had associations, it had groups, it had members of, of wool guys and wood and leather and bronze. And uh, these practices of these guilds, everybody understand that these guilds, they played a huge part in the church. Okay, so so outside in Lubbock, we have these unions, let's say, but they played a huge part in the church of Thyatira. And you go, how so? Here's what they would happen. They would gather together to worship. Okay, and they would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I'll get more into that. Look, they would gather in these unions and they'd go, okay, we're going to go worship. And I'll tell you who in just a moment. And part of their worship was sexual morality. Part of that was prostitutes. And if Brother Mike says, no, 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 I'm not going to go because I'm a Christian. Well, what does that do? Well, see, that jeopardizes your whole life and your career because you're part of this guild. You're part of this union. Okay? So that's what's going on. And I'll get more, a little bit more into that. Okay? Now, if Mike or so for anyone else said, no, no, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm not going into, we're not, listen, I'm not going to go to your Christmas party. I'm not going to do this because you know what? Mm-mm, we go to church. They would go and say, you're fired. You're fired. If you're not going to go with us, how do we know we can trust you? If you're not going to be part of our team, if you're not going to comply, anybody get that? If you're not going to comply with what we tell you, then you won't have a job anymore. This this is in Thyatira. This is in Thyatira. So what it would do is, is it would make it. So all of a sudden you got you got self going. Um, I need to feed my family. I need to feed my family. But you know what? It, but listen, if I go over here, you know what? These rituals, there's sexual morality, there's, there's idol worship, and it's going to ruin my marriage. I mean, I understand that, but I've got to do this. But see, I've got to provide for my family. And if I say no, I mean, and so what it did, guys, is it placed value on life and jobs and everything else far above your job, above Jesus. And that's what's, that's what's kind of going on. So they're put in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. Okay? But you go, well, who would they worship? Well, Thyatira guys had its share of pagan worship. 
You guys remember, um, the other churches, I mean, they, they all had their pagan shrines, but the, the one guys that they worshipped here, if you recall, jot this down, is the god Apollo. Apollo. Not Apollo Creed, okay? He wasn't in Rocky. It was Apollo. But let me tell you what. Apollo was known as the god of the sun, or the son of God. Okay? The sun god. S-U-N god. That's what, that's what they would worship. Oh, here, here he is, right? Now, they would worship Apollo. And they also had these temple, they also had a temple, what they would call fortune tellers, and they presided over uh, all of everything that was going on, but they were presided over by a f- very powerful female oracle. So now you have, you have Apollo, the sun god that we worship, but you also have these fortune tellers. Let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. Let me tell you. But the, who, the person that oversaw that was a very powerful female who kind of overran, or, or basically ruled all of the fortune tellers there in Thyatira. It was like, huh, who is she? We don't know, but kind of think about that. Now, here's what I want you to do. Keep this in mind as we go through our study. Why? Because I want you to notice Jesus is going to identify traits to this church. Thyatira. Once again, the smallest of the seven cities addressed in Revelation, but received the longest letter. You go, Ben, ben, ben you said that. What, what's the point? Here it is. This shows us that there can be big problems in small places. Okay? The city itself was built as a military pawn. It was a decoy to be attacked before any inland strategic centers. It was a commercial city with many merchants and guilds and various craftspeople. That's why they had, it was just a normal city, but it was built as a pond. Okay? Well, guess what happens? Somebody comes, says, I'm going to plant the church at Thyatira. I want to tell people about Jesus. Maybe Lydia came in and said, hey, let's, uh, let's get together. And they built a church. And that's, let's, let's look at the church, right? Because we pick it up in verse 18. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like brass. Now, remember, the temple to the Apollo was the sun god. Jesus now comes to the church and he says, these things says the Son of God. I'm not the sun god. I'm not the sun, S-U-N. I am the S-O-N. I am the Son of God. Listen, listen, guys, jot this down. This is the only time in Revelation the title is used, uh, the title is used for Jesus. Why? Because the title of the Son of God speaks of deity and it speaks of authority. Jesus comes as the Son of God, the one with ultimate authority. Basically, what he's saying here to the church, I'm God. I'm God. Not Apollo, you're worshiping this little sun god. I'm God. Oh, by the way, you guys, you guys are, you guys are master craftsmen. You deal with, you deal with iron and you deal with brass and you deal with purple and you have all of this stuff. He goes, I'm the one who has what? Notice what he says. His feet are like fine brass. Now that's not just a reference to go, oh, well, he had pretty shoes on. It's, it speaks of judgment. You guys know that anytime we speak of, of brass, it speaks of judgment. He says, listen, I am the son of God. And, and it, okay, okay, Lord, what, what, what's your rap? What is he saying? 
He says, well, first and foremost, you need to know that I had eyes, guys, like flames of fire. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? You're looking at, here he is, he's going, hey, uh, who wrote you that letter? Uh, Jesus. And he says, his eyes are flame of fire. And this speaks, when you look it up, it speaks, guys, of penetrating fire-like gaze. Okay? And you go, wow. But here, here's where we got to take it home. Here's where we got to deal with it. And you go, why? Because, listen, saints, with eyes of flame of fire, here's what I want you to jot down. Jesus sees all things. Those eyes of fire, guys, they penetrate into our heart. He knows what's going on. My question to you is, why do we try to hide it from him? Right? It's like the little kid. You know what I'm talking about? When he's, when he's hiding something, you go, hey, Johnny, what's behind your back? Nothing. You know, he's not, nothing. You know he's busted, right? But, but that's what we do to God. Guys, we come in and we go, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's, everything's good. I'm good. And the Lord's like, listen, I can see right through your heart. I can see right through your heart. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 that says this. There is no creature hidden in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Listen, he sees your heart tonight. What I love about my God is that he knows when we're hurting. He knows when our hearts are broken. He knows when we're struggling. He knows when, when we've just had enough. But on a different point, he knows when we're not honest. He knows when we're trying to be deceitful. I love that he comes to this church and he says, I know your works. Look at verse 19. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Don't you just love that? Why? Because notice, guys, here's the first thing Jesus does is he commends them. He says, man, you're you're doing good. You're doing good. Okay, so what does he do? If you're taking note, guys, he's commended in six areas. He commends them in six areas in verse 19. That's a lot. Okay, if I didn't have the rest of the letter, I'd be stoked. God said we're doing great. Okay, Bethany, we're doing good. Yes, he says, love works, are all right. But then we have the rest of the letter. But let's see what he says this. Let's break this down, okay? Because the first thing we see, and here's what you got to jot down. It's the proper motivation. He says, I'm going to commend you on the proper motivation. You go, what's that? It's love. Guys, it's love. Guys, they weren't guilty of mere religious activity. They weren't just going, yeah, we're going through the motions. Yeah, we're doing it. It was, it was love. In fact... This is the only church that was commended for love. The agape. This is a loving church. This is a loving church. At Calvary Chapel, love it, guys. Our goal as a leadership, want you to be the best fed, best loved people in all of Lubbock. We want you to feel loved. We want you to feel like this is home. We want you to walk in the door. And I know it freaks people out, man. Hey, how are you? And we love you and we're glad you're here. But that's this church. Not only that, guys, but not only is it a proper motivation, but you also have an effective ministry. Guys, they served. They served. And I think the two and two go hand in hand. 
We can't call ourselves Christians and not serve. That we have to have an event, right? Because true service grows out of love. Out of love. And see, service literally means ministry. We get the Greek diakonos from it, and it just simply means an errand runner, assistant pastor, servants. This church, guys, the church was a church that served from the heart. Yes, pastor, I'll do it. Yes, pastor, I'll do it. Why? I just love people. I just love his body. You don't know what he saved me from. Of course I'll do it. Of course I'll be there early. Of course I'll serve. Of course I'll stay late. Of course we'll go out and minister to people who don't know Jesus. Of course. Are you kidding me? That's this church. That's this church, man. Because love. Love. It's part of our, it's part of our core values, is it not? We're to what? Love God. And when you love God, you're going to love his people. And when you love his people, you're going to live radically. And living radically means serving and, 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 and witnessing and sharing. Guys, for this church, it wasn't mechanical. It wasn't something that they just did. Let me tell you what I love about my friend, Pastor Sof. Let me tell you what I love about him. From time to time, he stops and he says, listen, I need to do a heart check because I need to make sure I'm not serving. Just He always checks his heart for Jesus. And he serves. He's always served. For 17 years, he's always served. But it doesn't come... It, part of it is a love for, for, for me. I get that. But he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And that's what he's, that's what this church is all about, guys. They love Jesus. But also, too, not only did they have an effective ministry, but guys, they had the right message. It was the message of faith, your faith in Jesus. I mean, this is an incredible church. The Lord's like, you have great faith. And you guys have a tough mentality. He says, you're patient. You're patient, Mike. You're patient. And the Greek word is hupomeneo. And what it means is that stick to itness, right? Why? Because just as service grows out of love, patience grows out of faith. Patience grow out of faith. It wasn't but just a few minutes before I walked in here to deliver the message that I'm looking outside going, Lord, I've been doing this for 17 years every Wednesday. That hupomone, that stick to itness. And the devil comes and says, hey man, you going to do it again? I mean, but look. Bro, it's like starting over. I know. I know. This is, this, this is being real, but, but patience grows out of faith. Trusting God. Guys, the ability to continue in the face of adversity can only come from your faith in Jesus. Listen to me. Listen to me. These next few months, these next four years, these next whatever it might be are going to seem critical in where we go as believers. It's going to be critical. We're going to maybe be in the face of continual adversity. The only way we're going to overcome is our faith in Jesus. You guys, think about it. Think about it. I mean, listen, if you're, you're in social media at all, I mean, I get it. The, everybody's like, okay, I thought something was going to happen. I thought we were going to be here. I thought this was going to happen. I thought... 
You know where my hope comes up? My hope comes up is that, that the Lord's going to come back for us soon. I, I told somebody the other day, I told somebody, we're the generation that's going to see the return of the Lord. That's exciting. And the, thing, the cool thing about it is that we'll never know. We're just going to be doing, going about our daily business, right? Uh, and, and boom, we're going to hear the trumpet and we're going to be gone. This is going to be so cool. Guys, we're not going to taste death, hopefully. But we're going to see the Lord up in the air. This isn't something go, yeah, people have been saying that for years, you know. I mean, no, 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 this is it. This is, this is, this is going down. This is going down. Well, Ben, just because we have a new president, just because we have new this, just because we have new that, doesn't mean, guys, look at the signs of the times. Just keep your eyes focused on the Lord. And if he doesn't come back for 10 years, still, that's still short, isn't it? 10 years is really short. So, I feel like I'm a broken record saying the same thing. Jesus is going to keep your eyes on him. Keep your faith in it. But that's all. We, that's the whole. Because if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Because our hope is not going to be found in politics or politician. Our hope is not found in a man here on earth. Jesus came to save us. Think about this. Think about this. When Jesus came, so if you know this, when Jesus came, what, what did the disciples, they were, they were thinking he was going to deliver them from Rome. And they were disappointed when he was on the cross. They're like, are you kidding me? Just like a lot of us, are you kidding me? This is it? Well, this is it. That's what they thought. But see, Jesus had a different plan. He wanted to save them from their sins. But then he's going to come back as king of kings and lord of lords, is he not? And he's going to rule the nations. He's going to be king. No one's, nobody's going to dispute that. Be careful. Be careful. Okay? I'm getting way off, and we still got so much to cover. Okay. So, here's a church, right? Thyatira. They had many people that loved God and served people. And they had a faith in the word, and they persevered. They helped many. They kept it up. Others got involved. The church grew. I mean, the deeds, the works of the church were far more when this letter was written than it first began. Jesus is like, man, it's even better. And if you and I were there in Thyatira, guys, we would have been greatly impressed with this church. We would have been like, that's the place we got to join. That's the place we got to be. Things are happening there. It was busy. It was hustling. It was active. And it had some great, wonderful people who obviously manifested love and faith and concern for others. And that's what people want in church today. I heard somebody say this the other day. Listen, our church needs to be a hospital for sick people. We've got to be able to come, let them come in those doors, guys, and we need to love them back to life. This has to be a hospital for sick people. The Word of God is the medicine, but we have to love them here. We have to. And that's what they're doing. And that's what they're doing. But despite the fact that they were commended for so many wonderful things, Jesus couldn't overlook their problems. And in this one area of the problem had a potential to destroy them. You go, what's the lesson for us? Guys, the lesson is this. Together as we might be, Jesus wants to deal with those areas that we're not all together. And you go, why? Because he loves us so much and he wants us to conform us. He wants to mold us. He wants to shape us into his image. He wants to make us more like him. And we should desire nothing less. 
We should not value anything else more than him. You know the mentality that says, man, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at spiritually. I want to stay right here. I don't want to get too radical, you know? I'm, I, I'm good. Uh, I think that's downright silly, is it not? You go, why? Because it's like God preparing a great feast. And you and I say, no, nah, no, thank you. All I want to eat is potted meat. And if you like potted meat, my apologies. Some people do. <laughs> or like when we have an opportunity to eat at Outback Steakhouse, and we say, nah, I'd rather have some crackers with mustard and ketchup. You get the point, right? You get the point. What's the point? Listen to me, church. We should desire nothing less than the very best that God has for us. So ask yourself that question tonight. God, am I desiring the very best for you? For me? Am I, am I wanting the very best? Or am I settling? So the church at Thyatira, guys, there are many who loved God, many who served his people, many who had faith in the Lord. I mean, it was an attractive place, but something was definitely wrong. Something was definitely wrong. Now, let me just take a step to the side here, because that's what happens. We've got to be careful because sometimes we'll look at people, and on the outside, they look like they're okay. They look like they're good. Everything's good, right? They dress good. They look good. Everything's fine. But deep in their heart, something's crushed. Something's broken. We have to be so careful. Wow, well, I wouldn't think, no. And that's what, this, there's something going on in this church. What is it? Well, I'm going to tell you in just a minute, but remember what Jesus told us. He says, now remember... Uh, just a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. You know that, just a little bit. So it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could just be a small thing, small thing. Well, what was the problem? Well, in verse 20, Jesus is going to address the problem. You guys ready? He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Here's the accusation, okay? The accusation. He goes, tolerance. Let's talk about tolerance. It's not that the church was unaware of what was going on. Wait, wait, what? We did what? We did who? No, 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 no. Here's what they're saying, guys. They're saying, no, no, no. We know about it. We just didn't want to confront it. Confront what? Well, it's a false prophet. Because Jezebel was a self-identified prophetess. Now listen, this text is not speaking about women in leadership. Okay, well, there you go. See, women, and there you go. You can't have... No, 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 it's not talking about that. See, throughout the Bible, we have many women who are great leaders. We do. It's talking about a self-imposed prophetess that said, this is what I'm going to do. Well, think about this. The Lord says, that woman, Jezebel... You guys see that in your Bible? Look at it again. That woman, Jezebel, in verse 20. It can be translated, thy woman, or it can be translated, thy wife. That woman, thy wife. And let me give you two schools of thought real quick, okay? Two schools of thought. The first school of thought was she was maybe the wife of the pastor of Thyatira. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? 
That's like Nathalie coming in and going, I'm going to rule the roost. I'm going to come in here. Ben, I want to teach. And she's bringing all of this false doctrine. And I'm going, well, Soph, she's my wife. You know, she's, she's, she's pretty mean at home. You know, I just, that's the idea that it was the pat. We don't know. That's one school of thought. Well, thy, thy wife, Jezebel. The second school of thought, guys, is it, it was, it was Jezebel was the lady. Do you guys remember the chief oracle, um, over the temple of the fortune tellers? This was her. And she got saved. She had this great conversion. She comes in. She goes, I'm saved. I used to be over the fortune tellers, but I'm saved. And, and God's given me a message. And she's allowed to teach. However, she teaches the false doctrine. Two schools of thought. Two schools of thought. Here's what we do know. We do know that there was a woman who called herself a prophetess. She held the position of influence and authority within the fellowship. That There's a woman. And because of her influence, the church of Thyatira was now floundering. Something's not right. Because she persuaded the people, okay, that was sac- that, that to eat food, first of all, that was sacrificed to idols. And here's the sad part. She persuaded the people in the church to commit six- sexual immorality. It's okay. Go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. Guys, her influence upon this church to Nero, all the way to Domitian, they would have no clue. They would have no clue. But the Christians would, don't you think? Why? Because it's reminiscent of an Old Testament gal by the name of Jezebel. So they'd go, oh, it's, it, it, it was reminiscent of the one of the most ungodly women in Israel's history. Jezebel, who was she? She was the wife of King Ahab. In fact, most commentators agree that the woman's name in Thyatira wasn't really, her name wasn't really Jezebel, but was more like the spirit of Jezebel. So they were like, yeah, okay, that wasn't it. Most commentators believe that. But Jesus is using the name symbolically of her sin and how it was comparable to the, to, to Queen Jezebel. You go, well, okay, so help me understand here. Jezebel of the Old Testament, okay, she was the daughter of Ithbaal, and he was the king of Sidon, and the Sidonians, well, they worshiped Baal, okay? They didn't worship God. They worshiped Baal. Well, guess what? She marries Ahab of Israel, and through her influence... Ahab and Israel were led into the worship of Baal. They left the worship of God into Baal. Now, here's the thing that jumped out at me today. Wives, wives, I understand you go, my husband's the head of the household. He's the leader. But you understand that you have such great influence over your husband. You have such great influence to help him be a godly man or not. That's exactly what she's doing. Jezebel married Ahab. Ahab, listen, you guys have been, you guys have been worshiping God. How, where has that got you? Let me tell you. Let me introduce you to Baal. No, sweetie, I don't, we don't worship Baal. We worship, we worship God. No, 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 sweetie, listen. 
look how cute I am. She has a great way to influence her husband. Guess what? It brought all of Israel into idolatry. Idolatry. First Kings chapter 16, verse 33 says this, And Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did, notice, more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who before him. So Ahab didn't need a reason, Jezebel gave him one. And she influenced him to be the worst king to provoke the anger of the Lord. Think about that, guys. Think about that. You go, well, what did Jezebel do? Guys, she had prostitutes that were carrying on their idolatry, sexual immorality, right in the temple of God. Instead of a place to go worship. Think about it. This is her. So the nature of her apostasy that Jezebel introduced into Israel was nothing less than the most depraved sexed worship with prostitutes in the temple of God. She was also responsible for the murder of a man named Naboth in order to gain his vineyard for her husband. So not only was she doing that, she, she, this, this gal, man, and she killed many of the prophets of God. Elijah thought he was the only one left. Let me read you this quote. I thought it interesting. Uh, a fellow by the name of Philip says, She spent the first part of the day putting on her war paint and the second part of the day going on the war path. This was Jezebel. She was the epitome of corruption of God's people. Think about that. Of immorality and idolatry. She was so evil that Elijah prophesied that the Lord would put a sudden end to her life and that she would be eaten by dogs, and that's exactly what happened. This is Jezebel of the Old Testament. Now, Revelation, John writing in Patmos, Nero goes, who's Jezebel? This, John's been out on the sun too long. You know, he's a little kooky. He's talking about, he's talking about Jezebel and prophetess. And, uh, he's just an old religious fool. But you guys... Knowing the Old Testament went, oh, the church has, oh, wow. By likening this lady to Jezebel of the Old Testament, Jesus was identifying the seriousness of her sin in the activities of the church. And here's what was going on. As I said previously, in order to make a living at Thyatira, Pastor Soph had to join a union or a trade guild. Okay? And they would say, okay, we're having a union meeting, and Soph, you have to come. But see, Soph knew at these meetings there would be sexual immorality that would take place. He knew this was going to go down. Yvonne... Soph's wife knew that was going to go down too. What was he going to do? He had to make a living. You understand? Hey, you need to be there. Oh, you know, I'm a Christian. Honey, I just, I just, I know what goes on there. It's not good. First of all, I love God. Second of all, I love my wife. I love my family. I don't want to, 
Well, sweetie, you don't have to look at that stuff. You don't have to participate. But they, then they would offer him food that was sacrificed to idols. See, the problem these Christians in Thyatira faced is they, they had to belong to a union in order to make a living. Yet belonging to a union meant they were pressured, maybe even required to participate in immoral sex practice and even idol worshipers. Okay? So the union, the guilds, acted as some sort of government, if you will, that persuaded them, saying, listen, if you're going to make a living, you're going to do what we tell you to do. We tell you to do. What am I going to do? What am, what, what, what am I going to do? I mean, I have to make a decision. And that's, that decision came down to really said, listen, am I going to value God? Am I going to honor God? And not go? Because if I show up tomorrow morning, Jesse, they might say, you're fired. Here's your pink slip, bro. You didn't come last night. And I've heard this before, guys. I've heard this before. I've heard it all the time. Well, what do I do, man? What do I do? And, and so I say, trust the Lord. And that's where you've got to be. Do you value the Lord and your relationship with him far more than your job, your career, where you live, your income? So you see, it comes, down to one, it comes down to one word, does it not, Rosa? Trust. Do I trust the Lord? Do I trust the Lord? Do I trust him? And a lot of us go, I trust him. I trust him as long as I have my bank account there, as long as I got an income coming. I trust, Lord, I trust you. But man, when we really have to step out in faith and trust the Lord, that's where, the rubber, that's where these people were in Thyatira, man. There's like, okay, what do we do? What do we do, man? What do we do? Here's where it gets interesting. You ready? Jezebel steps in and says, Hey, I'm a Christian too. I'm a Christian too. Um, guys, let me see. Okay. Pastor, can I have the pulpit? Uh, okay. Let me just share with you what the Lord is telling me. Okay. Let me, this is Jezebel's sweet. Let me just tell you what the Lord, um, listen, if you're a Christian, it's okay for you to go to those meetings in, in the union. It's okay. God, God knows it's okay. God knows that you need to make a living, and so he's saying it's okay. Well, Jezebel, what if I have to, what if, what if they want me to participate in some sexual morality? Some, I mean, what they want me to have to sleep with a prostitute and in a form of work. It's okay. God says it's okay. He understands. Pastor is going, Okay, so it's not that he's like, whoa, 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 lady, no. <laughs> he's like, okay, everybody hear that? She's got a word from the Lord. And so she's bringing in all of this stuff. And she taught the church because of their physical survival was at stake, God would overlook their sin. Is that getting deep? Ooh, seriously. <sighs> Her philosophy was that we often hear these days is that whenever a Christian tries to excuse or justify unethical or moral practices with their business, right? That's how they say, well, you know, business is business. You know, we have to play the game. We have to play hardball, doggy dog world. Guys, it's, it comes down to trust. And it's going to come down to trust. 
You see, because in our day and age, whether you're for the vaccine or, or against the vaccine, wherever you stand makes no difference. But the government said they're not going to force us to take a vaccine. They're going to allow our employers and the airlines and other places to enforce that on us. I'm just speaking the truth. But it should never be, hey, you need to do this or you'll lose your job. And now you've got to make a decision. Now you go, well, Ben, taking the mark, is, taking, taking the vaccine is not the mark. I mean, that's not, no, 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 it's not the mark. It has nothing to do. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to illustrate what's going to happen in a few chapters later when it says you do have to take the mark. Not us. We're out of here. You understand that. But the people left behind are going to be, now, here's the question. Are there going to be people going, no, 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 I'm not taking the mark. Or are they going to be conditioned to just go, oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's just what we do. I believe, I believe that when the rapture takes place, there'll be a huge revival. But then it'll level off, and then you'll have people who have been going through all of this starting last year. And that's Satan's plan is to roll that right into chapter 13. Take the mark, boom, done. See, the problem is, the Bible says, if you take the mark, the mark of the beast, you go, what is it? I don't know. I mean, it could be a mark, it could be a chip, it could be your phone, it could be 5G, I don't know what it is. But the Bible says, if you take it, you're condemned to hell immediately. There's no, there's no repentance from that. So, if you plan to be left behind and you're listening to this, do not, do not, do not take the mark. Do not take the mark. Jezebel teaching, it's okay. It's fine. God will wink at that. See, through her counsel and her teaching, Jezebel was leading the church to what? Sexual immorality and idol worship. They never questioned her claims and her teaching. Now, this is interesting to me. In verse 19, Jesus commends them for their love, but he rebukes them for tolerating Jezebel. See, we see the contrast between Ephesus and Thyatira, right? Ephesus, I mean, they wouldn't tolerate, Ephesus would not tolerate evil. That fellowship tested the teaching of the false apostles and disapproved them, and the problem was is they were lacking love. Well, Thyatira was abounding in love, but they tolerated evil. You go, what's the application? Jot this down, guys. There's, we, we see these today. There's still two extremes. You have those who are doctrinal perfectionists. They know everything about the word, but they lack love. They lack love. They'll want to teach you the word of God to make sure you understand it, but they lack love. The opposite of that, guys, is, is they... Um, let me see where I'm at here. Well, there are those for the sake of love that they'll tolerate any heresy. And so instead of going, well, and, and here's, here's the quote you'll hear. You have too much word. 
You have too much. We just need to love each other. We just need to, no, no, yeah, but see, here's the problem. If you, you should never have too much word. There should be a beautiful balance. There should be word and love. And again, here's what's going on, right? The, the, the people at Thyatira, they're like, But let me, I'm running out of time, but I've got to share with you real quickly their place in history, okay, in church history. Now, this might make some of you a bit uncomfortable and sobering, their place in history. Why? Because Thyatira's place in history, you guys are with me, we talked about the city, we talked about what's going on, we talked about Jezebel, all of that coming in, the spirit of Jezebel. But here's where it represents in church history. It represents a period in church history where the Roman Catholic Church came into being. Okay? This is also known as the Dark Ages. This is where it is in church history. Now, following that time of influence under the reign of Constantine, the church became married to the world. At that time, the the Catholic Church, guys, came into and basically took place in about a thousand AD. Oh, I'm sorry, for about a thousand years. Here's what's kind of going on from 600 AD, right after Constantine, to the, about the 1500s. You have the Catholic Church. Now, for this reason, I need to give you a disclaimer because what we're addressing here is primarily the bad things that happened in the Catholic Church. Okay? But what I want to mention is next week's study is actually going to talk about the Protestant church. So the Lord says, okay, okay, we're going to, we're dealing with Thyatira, but let me show you where it is in church history. But next week, we're actually talking about us. So I have to make that disclaimer because then somebody watching online or go, well, you're, you're bashing the Catholic. I'm not bashing the Catholic. This is church history. Look it up for yourself. As a matter of fact, when you study the Gospels, you can see some bad things that were going on in the circle of Jews. But I need to point this out so you get a good understanding moving forward. Okay? What's that? Notice, when Jesus was addressing this church, before addressing the areas of problems, he commended them. It's important to praise the good, but it's equally important to what? To give the prescription for the bad so that we can purge ourselves of anything that's not right. You go, Ben, what was the problem? Okay, let's get down to business. The problem in the Catholic Church, remember, starting from 600 AD all the way to 15, think about this, okay? Put on your thinking caps and how they compare to Thyatira. Jezebel claimed, remember, to speak as a prophetess. She claimed to be the voice of God. So here's this woman comes up and says, I have heard from God. I've got a word from the Lord. He's speaking through me. Well, in church history, you guys still with me? In church history, so too, at this point, the Roman Catholic Church claimed to speak without error to be the voice of God in truth. You see the comparisons. Its teachings are received without questions. The church actually claimed to be infallible. No, no, what we teach, we teach. By claiming to be infallible, the Catholic church claims to be the only doctrinal pure church. Let me give you some examples. 
Mary, right? Mary. You realize in the church they have elevated her as co-redeemer, known as the mother of God, and in some circles often pray to her. I, this, is, this is where I came out of, guys. I mean, I, I understand. I'm like, yeah, this is going on right here. So they, they made her, what, co-redeemer. And you'll hear people say, loving people, loving, let me say that again. You'll loving people will say, if you want Jesus to do something, you need to go to his mother. Excuse me? Yes, Mary, the mother of God, you go to her, she'll get her son to do something. If you want a blessing, if you want a new car, whatever, whatever it might be. You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay? But see, they elevated her to co Now, Mary was blessed. She is blessed among women. The Bible says that. Amen. But she didn't die for our sins. Mary also went on to have other kids in the normal way after the Son of God. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? She went on to have relations with Joseph. But in some circles, they say, no, 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 she never did. She she was a she was a she was a virgin her whole life and 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 Jesus's brothers were like his cousins. Some circles say that. What? You go. What else was going on at the time? At this time, it was the introduction, guys, of statues and figurines, which was a carryover from the pagan religions, not biblical practices. The little statues. And so they would pray to statues. Grew up doing that too. They would actually, guys, they elevated people to saints at this time when the Bible calls all believers saints. It was at this time that the Bishop of Rome called the Pope and called Pope came into universal acceptance and began to exercise dominion over emperors and kings. So the bishop of Rome, he, he, they said he's the Pope. Now, just to, here, let me just give you a thought, okay? Peter, Peter actually became the bishop of Rome, and a lot of people claim that Peter was the very first Pope. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. But he did make, Peter did make it to Rome. He was actually crucified upside upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like the Lord but it never there's nothing to confirm maybe they have it I don't know but he was he was not the first pope but this is where it came into universal existence now the name Thyatira jot this down means continual sacrifice continual you go why is that important well it also sheds light on its place in church history why because according to the catholic doctrine of transubstibulation that's exactly how the catholics approach communion during communion they believe the elements are transformed into the literal physical body of christ you ever hear that before yeah now the problem is, is that you'll realize that if, if you've ever been to a mass, they never let the parishioners drink of the cup because if it turns into the actual blood, they didn't want it to spill. And so only the priest would drink of it. Now, they would dip it, but they wouldn't do that because of transubstantiation, okay? 
They think in this time the continual sacrifice of Christ is what brings grace or salvation. So that's what they talk about. Okay? The idea of having some, having to come to God through some mediator. Now, also during this area, guys, they introduce the idea of um, indulgences. Indulgences. I don't have time to get in. I don't have time to get into that. But they also introduce the doctrine of purgatory. Now, let me just say this: there is a real purgatory. It's in Colorado, and it was purgatory. Then it wasn't purgatory, and I think they named it back purgatory. But that's the only one I know of. But right here, here's what it came in. Okay. Now, here's what I want to make sure. Look at me. I want you to understand that I'm not Catholic bashing. Okay. I want to make that clear. This is them in church. This is when the church was born. Now, like Thyatira, they were commended for a lot of good things. In the Catholic Church are many wonderful, beautiful saints of God. They love Jesus. My grandmother loved Jesus. And she always prayed facing the east. Never understood that, but she always prayed facing the east. She loved the Lord. This is what, they were great humanity. They, I mean, they, they did everything. I love that. The rebuke in the word of God comes from Jesus directed to Jezebel and those who embraced her false teachings. That's the rebuke. It represents the leadership of the church and those who support the false teaching. Notice verse 21, guys. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, she didn't repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the, into the what, guys? The great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give each one according to your works. First, guys, we see that the Lord's patient. He says, man, I'm giving her time to repent. I'm giving her time to repent. But the purpose of his rebuke is purification. Purification. But in verse 23, notice it says, and her children. What's he talking about? Well, if you're taking note, it means her teaching and her disciples, those that are, that are following her. He says, I'm going to cast them into a sickbed. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they're all going to be sick, and it's not COVID. What it means, guys, is they're going to be spiritually ill. They won't know the word of God. They won't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. They won't get it. They'll be, they won't be right. Now, he also says that he's going to allow them to go into the great tribulation. The great tribulation. This is what he's saying. The last four churches we talk about, okay, Thyatira, Okay, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and um, Sardis. These are all churches that are going to go, that are, that are alive today in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church. I mean, you're going to see. You're going to see a remnant of them. But what I love about this, guys, is that he says this. He says, now, first and foremost, he says, there's a remnant that love Jesus. You go, what does that mean? When somebody today comes and says, man, you know what? I go to the Catholic church and I love Jesus. I'm born again. You know what I say? Amen. 
I don't say, well, you got to come to Calvary. I say, amen. Why? Because he says, the Lord says, there's a remnant of people who love Jesus who are going to be part of the Roman Catholic Church. There's a beautiful part of that. And he says, now, to you I say, and the rest of Thyatira, you guys know all of that. I gave you a lot. To, he says, then you don't, you're not going into the other doctrine who have known the depths of Satan. He says, I'm not going to give you no other burden. Hold fast until I come. Hold fast until I come. Hold fast. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod, and they shall dash to pieces the potter's vessels. I have also received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. Guys, the morning star, it was a beautiful symbol. And I don't know how many of you have ever gotten up real early and seen the morning star. Um, but it's so cool. Jesus says, but, but the reference is, is that Jesus says, I'm going to give you myself. I am the bright and morning star. You can see that in chapter 22, verse 16. So what's he saying here? He says, man, I'm going to come to them. Hang in there. I'm going to be their bright and morning star. In other words, it's a promise of the rapture of the church. The first such promise in the book of Revelation. All right, so let's close. Let's close. A lot of information, a lot of good application, guys. It's sobering. It's a sobering thought, is it not? To realize that, uh, like Thyretia, you, you, may, you may be doing so many right things, but maybe you're still headed down the wrong path. And so we can be like the church of Thyretia, man, doing great works, demonstrated by their love, and yet, because of the lack of their discernment, they're guilty of tolerating the false teaching. See, today, more people are probably led astray by religion that teaches a watered-down version of Jesus than a religion that involves an overt perversion such as a gross sexual immorality. Listen, the result's the same. You go, what's that? It's the separation from Jesus. But the Bible says to be what? To be Bereans. And make sure that what you're taught is right. This is the word of God. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. Lord, it's so deep. Wow. So, Father, in prayer, we come to you and we just ask, God, search our hearts, O Lord, with those eyes of fire. Make sure that we're right with you. Make sure that, God, we're not allowing the Jezebel spirit to misdirect us. Lord, the thing that questions in my heart most of all is, what do I value more than you? What do I value more than you? And God, I am so guilty at times of placing things and people and relationships above you. And God, you are gracious and you are merciful. But I know that I don't want to place anything above you, Lord. 
that, that you are my all in all. And I realize, God, that when you're my all in all, all the other relationships, all the other things fall into place. And Lord, I can't help but think of all the people that have lost a job for the sake of Christianity or their walks with you only to get an even better job with more money. So help us to honor you. Give us supernatural wisdom. Help us to walk in your spirit. Lord, in a day and age, God, where we need you more than anything, God, we just, um, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. And Lord, prepare our hearts because you're actually going to talk to the church next week that, Lord, a church that looks alive but is dead. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I never want to leave a meeting without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. And maybe some of you watching right now have said, you know, I've sort of walked away from him a little bit. I, I understand, Lord, I've, I've, I've put other things um, ahead of you, Lord, but, but tonight's teaching, Lord, I feel your spirit and I'm ready to come home. And maybe some of you here have never given your life to God. Maybe some of you here have said, man, I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus. I've, I, I, I've grown up as a ch- in the church. I've grown up as a Christian. I've grown up in, and Lord, we hear that so many times. But today is the day to be serious. So I'm asking you, if God is speaking to you tonight, if you're watching online or you're listening via podcast or you're even here tonight and God is speaking to you and you've never given your life to the Lord, I just want you to close your eyes, lift up your hand, and say, Pastor, pray for me. I surrender my life to God tonight. I want to give my life to him. I don't, I don't want to go through the tribulation. I don't want to, I, I don't want to be left behind. I, I want to follow God. If you're watching online, I can't see you, but just lift up your hand. God will see your heart, man. And if I don't ever meet you, I'll see you on the other side and and you pray a prayer, something like this, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, be my friend. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And I believe you're coming back. Open my heart. I invite you inside right now. I choose to follow you forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Ty's going to lead us in worship, and then she's going to close out because I've gone way over my time. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, 
please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.